Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with your AEW Double or Nothing Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right. Getting over is back for the third time already this week with your third straight Ultimate Preview Edition of this show. This time, talking about 2023 AEW Double or Nothing, the second pay-per-view from AEW in 2023, and one that should be kicking off a stacked summer for the company. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along for the ride momentarily as we break down everything that happened this past week across AEW Dynamite and Rampage. We discuss the official collision announcement, Chris's perspective, I should say, on that announcement. And of course, we break down the AEW Double or Nothing card, Ultimate preview style. As we get into the show, allow me to remind you off the top that getting over is all about Defy. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings for us on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. That is how important those reviews are for us. Also, don't forget, I happen to love the number... Five. You can become an official Getting Overhead by joining us at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Subscribing for $5 a month, you get bonus audio, news posts, and direct interaction with the Silver King and Vintage, all for that low, low price. But more importantly than everything you get, you support the show. And we would greatly appreciate you doing that. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only for episode drops, news analysis highlights, all that good stuff, but You get to participate in our pre- and post-show polls around pay-per-views and premium live events and join us live on Twitter spaces for pre-shows. And we will have another coming up this Sunday for both AEW Double or Nothing and NXT Battleground. We're doing a two-in-one live Twitter spaces. Of course, we'll have one the day before on Saturday for WWE Night of Champions. And speaking of Night of Champions, we already have that ultimate preview as well as the NXT Battleground Ultimate Preview in your podcast feed. So do not forget to listen to those ahead of the big shows this weekend. All right, that was a long enough intro, Chris. Welcome to the AEW portion of this podcast. Been a while since we've uh, heard from you about AEW, which means we have a ton to talk about today. Uh, How's everything going? And what has your AEW viewership been like recently? I've been out the last couple of weeks it's been a kind of a strange month for me traveling and doing a lot of stuff so the last month i've kind of been out i've listened to your weekly uh aew section of the pod watched dynamite last night watched rampage from from the friday before so uh yeah i, I try to come on to these um ultimate previews because i have a lot of aew thoughts and uh, i'm excited to talk about this one all right well we're gonna break down aew double or nothing momentarily First, we're going to talk about everything that happened across Dynamite and Rampage that maybe did not exactly have to do with Double or Nothing, and there's a decent amount there. But of course, we'll get to all those matches one by one. We'll break them down with what happened on TV, our predictions and picks, and all that good stuff. Now, I didn't exactly love the Dynamite Go Home show. I was a little surprised how tepid the reaction was from the Las Vegas crowd for most of the night. That certainly did not help. And, you know, the one thing that AEW has going for it as a differential for WWE, it's not necessarily that they have good crowd reactions and WWE has bad ones. It's that 
the median or the mean crowd reaction for AEW is usually way better than the equivalent for WWE. At least that was the case for the first, let's say, three years of the company's existence. But what I've been noticing recently is the way as they hit these markets more frequently, they're just not getting the reactions that they used to. And candidly, I didn't think that much of what we got Wednesday night was done to generate crowd reaction like you would expect. I mean, even MJF is out there trying his best to drop some bombs, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later, but they didn't land. It was like a, instead of a kaboom, you know, type of deal. I thought Anarchy in the Arena and Chris Jericho against Adam Cole felt like the only two matches where we got true go-home storytelling. I guess you could throw the tag team title match in there as well, now that I think about it. But this marked for me, Chris, the third straight show following Raw on Monday and NXT on Tuesday, where I just thought the go-home efforts could have been better across the board. AEW usually does these well. I didn't think that Wednesday night connected. Yeah, it didn't feel like a go-home show. And outside of a couple of things, I wouldn't even make the case that the Anarchy in the Arena felt like a go-home because you only had two of the Young Bucks there. It, right. it was a weird episode. There was so much on this show that didn't have to do with the pay-per-view. And dynamite for a period like two three months ago i thought that they had kind of gotten into a groove of a of a more structured show where they're not throwing a million things at you and i, I actually thought the show had really started to pick up like the beginning of this four pillars stuff mm-hmm. and stuff like that there was really some stuff going but the last few weeks especially what i saw these last couple episodes is they're back to just throwing everything at you. Boom, 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 boom. Wrestling matches over, jump into something else. And there's like nothing really gets to breathe again. And that's why it didn't feel like a go home because there was just a lot of stuff on the show that wasn't really go home related. And I know you've got Rampage still, but nobody watches Rampage. Like this is kind of your go home. So that was, it was, it was like, a, it was a fine episode, but in terms of like your big go home, I didn't, I didn't think it quite landed on that. Yeah, I'll be interested to see, you know, last week, Tony Khan amid, dwindling ratings in large part because of the NBA playoffs, you know, not it's not like they're without competition right now. But Tony Khan tweeted something like these were our two highest rated uh, dynamites on cage match back to back ever. And it's just like, number one, who gives a shit? Number two. okay, And like and they weren't even I mean, like AEW. let's be very clear, has put on some absolute banger editions of dynamite. I did not feel like the last two weeks were anything special at all. There were some good matches involved, but. No, nothing special from a TV perspective. But if you go back like three, four, five weeks, they put on a couple episodes of Dynamite where I was like, all right, I am getting juiced up for double or nothing. But I just haven't felt that in the last couple. And I definitely did not feel that on Wednesday night. Now, let's go ahead and get into talking about everything that happened last Friday and this Wednesday that does not maybe directly have to do with double or nothing. And I want to start with Tony Khan's Latest announcement for the, I think, fourth straight week. Um, it, he announced what we expected on Dynamite, that AEW Collision will debut from the United Center in Chicago on Saturday, June 17th. Now, he did not mention CM Punk's name, and they did not mention that the show would be called The Second Coming, which is the rumored name of it to allude to Punk returning. A fan video of the arena, I saw it on Twitter, it showed an audible pop when he first said the United Center. Then there was a brief, like very like five seconds, CM Punk chant. And then a large portion of the crowd actually booed, which I thought was really interesting. Tony also blinked a few more times and delivered his announcement pretty well, just like he did last week 
So big improvements for him in that regard. Now, Chris, I already talked about this in depth the last two weeks. Last week, I got some DMs and, and tweets calling my rant on CM Punk, Ace Steel, Tony Khan, and AEW, my finest in the history of this podcast. So thank you to everyone who said that. I acknowledge you. But I'm curious about your take on the entire thing because we haven't heard from you at all. So there's a number of different topics that we can discuss here, but I'm going to lay them all out and you attack them in any order you want. Uh, Ace Steel actually being rehired, CM Punk actually coming back, the false start last week with the announcement of Collision, but not announcing CM Punk or the United Center, and now it coming back together and actually going down. And then after we talk about all that, I'll get your thoughts on Collision individually, the show itself. Okay, we'll, 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 go, we'll kind of start at the top and go backwards here. Um, I don't know why they, they don't just have Tony Schiavone or Adam Cole or somebody announce this. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why Tony Khan has to do it. Um, like, I get it. Like, cutting a promo, it's just, it's not his thing. It's like, not his it's thing. It's okay. Like, yeah. Does, he, it doesn't have to be. It, I, I'm, just, I'm very surprised he keeps going out there to do this. Um, it it kind of keeps doing this. As for this being at the United Center, Obviously, extremely weird to announce a bunch of future shows and not the most uh, the, the, the most uh, upcoming one. I have to imagine you've booked that building in advance. You've probably signed things. You probably can't get out of it, given there's only a few weeks left. Um, I, I I don't know why. The, I can't imagine they could have booked another arena on such short notice. I, I, I kind of just figured it was going to be the United Center, whether CM Punk was going to be there or not. And I just wondered... Were they going to pair a Punk United Center announcement and couldn't get Punk? I don't know. That's just my guess. Uh, a Steel coming back. I kind of don't really have any opinions on A Steel individually. Just more of a guy does what he reportedly does in a fight. I understand not wanting to bring him back. I understand CM Punk's loyalty. And if he did have the rug pulled off from under him of being told A Steel would be on the show and be backstage and then told he was not, I can understand why CM Punk would be upset about that, as you said. As for CM Punk himself, you you made a really good point in your rant when you said, you don't do any of this stuff unless you have it in writing that, you, that he's coming, that he's going to be a part of this. Like, you, you don't, you don't uh, build a show around him. You don't do United Center. You don't let all this stuff kind of tease out. If you don't have for sure in writing that he's coming and maybe they do. And we, and we're all just, they're all just working us. Probably not. I don't think you're trying to work the advertisers at the upfronts by not having CM Punk, let me interject you know, on, your, on your, on your event. There. Let me interject yeah. just briefly for you. So reports came out this week yeah. that CM Punk was sent multiple legal documents by AEW, Tony Khan, whomever those documents were not about like cementing him for collision or the debut or any of that. Cause he's under contract to AEW, but Reportedly, right. what the contracts or what the documents that were sent to him were about were basically NDAs regarding brawl out, the circumstances surrounding it, what happened behind the scenes, and what's gone on since. Further reports are not just that CM Punk is, of course, coming back and that there was this false start last week, whether it's directly about a steal or something else that was a disagreement, whatever the case, but mm -hmm. it can further confirmed what I said last week during the rant and what I said two weeks ago, he has legitimately not made amends with a large portion of the roster, most importantly, the elite, which is the group in which the brawl out situation 
involved. I mean, it was it's all about yeah. them and him. And let's also remind their executive vice presidents of the company. So I just wanted to interject that. Please go ahead. Yeah, and is this, no, that's good stuff. As for the CM Punk stuff, I thought I thought Kenny Omega had the best one of the better takes on it when he spoke on Renee's podcast a couple of weeks or months ago. And that was like, I've been in locker rooms before things get heated, things happen. And then you just kind of get over it and get back to doing what you do. And it appears like a lot of people involved have not done that. Is it, is it, is it poor business or questionable business or questionable leadership to bring back CM Punk? Amid all of that, amid the amends not being made, amid your inability to trust him in a lot of situations. Absolutely. I would not trust him if I was running this company. But I'm really excited to see if CM Punk comes back. He's just a really interesting person, character, wrestler. And when he's on my TV, I'm watching. He does. You can do business with him. He brings in money. It may blow up. That's half the fun of it. I'm excited for CM Punk to possibly come back. Like I want CM Punk to come back, even if it blows up spectacularly. I'm not thinking of this from a business perspective. I'm not thinking of this from from a, a, a CEO perspective. I'm thinking of this from a wrestling fans perspective. And CM Punk is fascinating. And if he shows up in Collision and does all these things. I'm going to be I'm I'm much more likely to watch if CM Punk is there. And if CM Punk is back, we're more likely to eventually get to the amends, to get to the CM Punk versus the Elite in some type of form, and boy is that going to do money when that happens. So I I I want CM Punk to come back even if I don't know if it's a good idea. I think you're heavily putting the cart before the horse of that they would work a program together. I mean, let's not forget they're splitting the fucking roster. It's somewhat because Collision needs its own people, understandably. But they're talking about doing a relatively hard split when it comes to like CM Punk, FTR, and like his group, and then the elite, which are, by the way, still the biggest draws in AEW. Now, Punk individually is a, a big draw, no question. But people still love AEW for Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Hangman Adam Page. And not to mention, of course, John Moxley and Daniel, uh, Brian Danielson and all those guys. But but they're enforcing this because their top, perhaps, individual draw, or maybe their biggest name, can't get along with the executive vice presidents and the heart and soul of the entire company that the hardcore fans, the true AEW fans, I want to say, the ones that have been there from the very beginning. I don't like calling true fans and fake fans. I don't mean it that way. Um, but the, the, the people that they hang on to, I do find it hysterical that some people are like, and I'm not talking about you here, because you're just saying, hey, he's an entertaining person on television, and I'd, I'd like to see him as opposed to not see him. First of all, I disagree. Not yes. that he's not entertaining. <laughs> I He's extremely entertaining, and he's good on TV and whatever, but old CM Punk is the one I loved. Current CM Punk, the guy who can't wrestle as well and still can cut promos, but they're not hitting every single time he does them. You know, uh, He's not as much of an attraction to me now as he used to be, but I don't want to see him after what he did at Brawl Out. I don't want to see him on my TV. And there's a lot of people, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Reddit, wherever, that they shit on Phil. And they're like, fuck CM Punk. I'm done with him. What he did to AEW was unacceptable. He should be fired, whatever. Now he's getting brought back. And it's like, oh, I can't wait to see CM Punk's back. They're turning on a dime. And 
I'm not going to be that way. I'm just telling you all straight up. Like, I'll talk about him, and if he has a good match, I'll call it a good match, and if he has a good promo, I'll call it a good promo. But I am not excited for the return of CM Punk to wrestling television, particularly in AEW, because I actually care about their long-term success. I want AEW to succeed because guess what? Competition is a good thing. And we've seen WWE get better in the last couple of years in no small part because AEW exists and it's forced them to get better. Of course, a lot of that really has to do with Triple H getting the book over there. That's a conversation though for the other show. Long and short of it, what I'm trying to say here, Chris, is you know CM Punk coming back, if you as a fan are excited about it, I'm not telling you not to be. I can only tell you that from my perspective, I abhor what they did behind the scenes. I think it is an indictment on leadership and management in AEW. And as a fan, someone who's going to be watching the product, CM Punk coming back, I do agree it's going to help massively get Collision off the ground. But outside of that one factor, I don't care for him on my television anymore. Well, to, to, to that point, you know, wanting AEW to succeed and do well. The, the, the company is succeeding. The company has done extremely well. Yes, ratings are down compared to what they used to be, but they continue to be like top 10 on cable, essentially dynamite every week. And what I'm more interested, like we'll talk about Collision here in a second, or kind of ties together. I'm less interested in Collision existing as I am what that new television deal is. Because if it's what we think it could be, that's going to do massive for the company. And if CM Punk's being a part of the company and that show existing is a major reason for that, I still think that's very much a positive for AEW. And when CM Punk is back, the ratings are going to go up. And, 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 and to take this all back into kayfabe, can't you just imagine in like six months from now, CM Punk and a group of wrestlers from Collision attack the elite on Dynamite and they start some sort of like survival series invasion type of angle. We finally get uh, what we always wanted. If CM Punk is back in the company, I do. It, it's more likely we get that than if he's not. And well, if he's not, there's a zero. If, if there's not, there's a zero percent. Out. If he's not in the company, there's a zero percent chance we get that. If he is in the company, there's a five right. percent right. chance that we get that. Sure, I guess. But I'm not hanging on. I'm not hanging on for dear life for the fact that rather than squash the beef immediately, apologize, go public with everything and just say, hey, I I made a mistake. I'm sorry to you guys. I'm sorry to AEW. Tony, I'm sorry. Be publicly contrite and then work it into a kayfabe angle, which they could have done. Now, he's injured. He's injured. So they couldn't have even done that until now. Let's let's make that very clear. But instead of making amends and getting on the same page and then working it into a money making kayfabe angle. They're not doing that. In fact, they're largely doing the opposite of that. There weren't amends made. There weren't apologies. And they're separating them on television. So no, I don't think that nine months from now, everything's going to be hunky-dory and we're going to see CM Punk against Kenny Omega in a feud where the elite get his back and then FTR and whoever else get get Punk's back and Dan Housen and comes in and whatever other bullshit that they do. No, I don't think that's going to happen. Now, two years from now, if everything is going exceedingly well and AEW is breaking box office records and they're coming close to WWE's ratings and everyone is just in love with each other. Might they do the angle? Yeah, maybe they might do the angle and call back to it, possibly. But no, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. And if that is what you're hanging your hat on, I'm not saying you, but I'm saying anybody, is hanging their hat on and like, I can't wait for CM Punk to come back because I can't wait for him to feud with the elite. Let me give you this right now. But I'm afraid I've got some bad news. It ain't happening, folks.
No, that's not the reason I want him to come back or anything. I'm just saying. It's but I wasn't talking to you. I was saying in general. It does. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. I know. So, so let so like let's talk about collision here. You've you've talked about it. Yeah, I want your thoughts bit. on that. Yeah. Saturday night show. Oh, I'm just I'm not gonna watch it most of the time. I don't watch Rampage anymore because nothing really happens. They just they usually just set up a match on Dynamite, and it's just it's just wrestling. And especially during the fall when we're doing college football and that's our job and it's our favorite sport and it's all these things. Yeah, it's just it ain't it ain't all gonna fit. So I'm not gonna watch it very much. If there's a CM Punk segment, I'll probably seek it out more than I would otherwise. But doing a hard roster split and half that roster getting stuck on a Saturday is pretty dang tough. SmackDown's different. Like SmackDown being a Friday night is obviously a bad time slot, but it's on Fox. It's on network television. It's outrating. It gets more viewers than Raw. So like that, that works. Um, I, I'm not going to watch much Collision, I don't expect. But again, if the existence of that show is making AEW more money through whatever their new TV deal ends up being, then good for them. And I, I think that's good. I think the roster split itself would be a good idea, a hard split, because these shows are packed. And like I said, they're throwing a million things into them. I hope a hard split allows people to get more time and to kind of get more focus and elevate everybody the way the WWE split usually works. Mm -hmm. So I think there's certainly a lot of positives that can come from it. I'm not going to watch it. I can't imagine Tony Khan's going to be booking all of that. He is. I don't apparently. know. It's a lot, but um, I think it's good for the company. I'm just, I'm also not going to watch it. You're saying you're not going to watch it live. I mean, you're going to watch it. Like you're going to follow it. Yeah. I mean, like I'll, pay attention to what happens it'll pop up on my timeline and, and all but i'm saying are you going to dvr it have time during football season to... i'll i'll record it whether right, that's what i'm watch saying it depends on if i see anything interesting happen yeah exactly yeah. i mean especially when we get into football season we i there's i mean now in the off season if i'm home on a saturday night at 8 p.m first of all kill me but second of all um sure i might tune in into it if there's nothing else on if there's not sports if there's not you know a wwe premium live event or any other things that are going on but more than that, I just don't want to watch wrestling as a television show on a weekend in competition with all the other things that I could be watching, but I will DVR it. And I, especially at the beginning, I'm going to watch the episodes. The question is, when can I fit it in? Because if I'm not going to watch it Saturday, I'm not going to watch it Sunday. Then I'm not going to watch it Monday because we have Raw. Then Tuesday, we have NXT. And then Wednesday's Dynamite. So like, at what point am I going to watch a two hours of additional live wrestling content? I already struggle and forget many weeks to watch Rampage right now. And I'll see it 7.30 on Wednesday and I'll be like, shit, I got to get through Rampage. I'll put it on. I'll watch the entire show in 15 minutes because most of it you can skip. And then I get to Dynamite. I'm like, okay, at least I'm caught up. But now you're telling me it's a two hour live collision and it's going to get moved around a lot because of playoffs and other things that happen on TNT. I mean, it's just, I question, you know, I understand why it's that day. And I did break that down last week and the week prior, Chris. But even though I understand why, I don't agree with it being on Saturday night at 8 p.m. Yeah, I'm surprised. Um, there's no, I'm thinking of the schedule. I got Raw, NXT, Dynamite, nothing. Thursday is Thursday night football and, then, and Tony won't go against the NFL. Yeah. Then Friday, true. SmackDown. So. And yeah, that's Friday, it. Friday, SmackDown. 
That's about all you got, yeah. Yeah. All right. Tough. All right. We've got a lot more to talk about. Uh, I'm glad you got all your thoughts in about Collision, CM Punk, Tony Khan, all that good stuff. Uh, let's go ahead and run through Dynamite and Rampage. And then, of course, we'll give you that AEW double or nothing ultimate preview. On Dynamite, we had an international championship match, Orange Cassidy against Kyle Fuller. So the match that appeared to be canceled that led to the Battle Royal getting booked instead happened anyway, which I just thought was really weird the way that was addressed last week. But this was an extremely well-wrestled match. Fletcher hit consecutive spinning tombstone pile drivers. He also got an avalanche Mishinoku driver. Orange countered another tombstone attempt into a tornado DDT, then countered a fourth such attempt into a roll-through pinning combination to retain the title. I went 3.75 stars B-plus for it. Felt like they stayed in third gear the entire time, but it was fun. One thing I didn't like was Orange kicking out of so many big-time moves and then the match ending with a pinning combination over a guy who's half of a tag team who Orange easily could have beaten clean with a finisher and it wouldn't have hurt him at all. Fun match. First thing I wrote in my notes here was, because every week you've been mentioning the international championship Mm-hmm. Shazam Fury of the Gods. I wanted to let Leveled you know up that uh, by I watched Shazam Fury of the Gods. I watched I watched Shazam Fury of the Gods this week. It is on it <laughs> is HBO on Max. Max. It debuted, yeah. It is. When when HBO Max switched to Max, they put Shazam Fury of the Gods on there and I watched it and uh extremely extremely average. I think the the the, the heroes are pretty fun and interesting, but the villains are as generic as it gets. Well, wait a minute. Very what did you think movie. about the first one? Cuz I did very much like the first one. Love the first one. Very good. Okay. Very good first one. So this is way below Second one, the, yeah. the first one in quality, you're saying? Yeah. I, I don't know if it elevated the international championship all that much. Leveled um, up. I think I think uh, Orange Cassidy has leveled up the international championship very much by having a very good reign. This was a fun match. Surprising finish. Commentary kind of messed up the end as to exactly what the match meant. It was a release of the Battle Royal. So, like, eh, it was fine. I enjoyed it. All right, we had a trios title match, House of Black against Blake Christian, Metalik, and AR Fox with the house rules, of course. Now, the rule chosen by the challengers was one man in, one man out of the ring, even without tags, which I thought was a really cool rule. But despite the rule, there was a time late in the match where five guys were in the ring at once, which just kind of flew right in the face of it. It ended with a triple submission and a title retention. Last week, I mentioned how I liked the aesthetic change for the house rules matches, But I thought what they did last week was way too much of an eyesore. It was very difficult to watch as a viewer and that it needed to be toned down. Well, that's exactly what they did this week. It was way more visually pleasing. Huge improvement in the presentation. But I think a far worse match than the first one that we got. Uh, They looked like badasses in the finish. House of Black did. But this felt like a rampage match on Dynamite. I would not have put this on a go-home show. Yes, exactly. This is an example of something that just wasn't relevant to really anything going on. Match was whatever, not that great. I, you're right. I did like the aesthetic. I like the aesthetic and I like the house rules concept. Like, it's interesting. Like, every week I'm like, oh, what's the rule going to be? What's the team going to be? It's going to be different. And so, like, it's a great, solid gimmick. Enjoy that. Uh, I like House of Black. So this was fine. It was just kind of in a weird spot at a, at a go home. But you're right. Visually, I think they kind of figured out kind of a cool way to do that. It's clear that they're building up um, the acclaimed and daddy ass to be a trio to go after these titles. I think it's an absolute shame that they didn't connect all the dots and create this match for the double or nothing card. House of Black as the trio's champions with this new gimmick. We know the house rules gimmick not being on double or nothing for me is just a big mistake. Yep, I agree. 
On Dynamite, Roderick Strong fought Daniel Garcia. This match came after the Adam Cole-Chris Jericho segment that we'll discuss in a little bit when we get to the ultimate preview. Good match. Strong won after hitting end of heartache. Strong had to win because it was his second or third AEW match, but it seemed like it came a bit too easily over a guy in Garcia who's put on some big-time bangers and gotten wins against some of the top stars in the company, and here he's just getting easily defeated by Roderick Strong. That didn't really connect for me. Agree on all points. You're right, Daniel Garcia, he beat Dan O'Brien, or Brian Danielson. Like, he has been built up as that guy. You would think, oh, Roderick Strong versus Garcia, Garcia loses is like a big thing mm-hmm. instead of a go-home to an unrelated match, or to, a, to a, a match not involving these guys. Uh, on Saturday. So kind of surprised they did it in that spot. But if the other option is interference and you get a smaz, you know, they, they try not to do that. I get it, but it was, it was, it was, all right. I liked it. On rampage, we had Dustin Rhodes against Bishop Khan and no joke. This was the main event of the show. And I'm just realizing now that I really should be getting the Billy K. You got to be joking me uh, sound for the soundboard. Cause this would have been a great opportunity to use it. But not only was this the main event, Dustin bladed to a full crimson mask against Bishop Khan on Rampage. Dustin hit a bulldog in Final Reckoning for the win. Brian Cage attacked after the bell with a powerbomb. Swerve Strickland slowly entered. That gave Keith Lee enough time to storm down the ramp. And finally, we got Keith and Swerve staring each other down for about 10 seconds before Keith got attacked by the others in a lumbering, slow brawl. Cage hit an F5 onto a chair, then sat Keith in the chair and Swerve did a double stomp off the top rope, except when it's in a chair, the chair has to like topple over. And it did like so slowly that Keith just kind of like lightly touched the canvas when it was all said and done. There was no impact. Now, to be clear, nothing I just said was made up. That's all exactly what happened. That's how they continued this feud with a bastardized repeat of the spot that took Lee out, except that one used a cinder block. And this was a slow turnover in a chair. There was no match announcement. Nothing. Let's remember, this match should have happened at the last pay-per-view, which was two and a half months ago. And it's still not happening two and a half months later on Double or Nothing. What the fuck is going on here? What is the point of this? You guys who have been listening to me for years know I am a massive fan of Keith Lee and Swerve, both individually and together. But this shit is absolutely Dreadful. Zero point zero. Keith Lee has has like aged thirty years since this started. Like he got he literally looked like a completely different person when their breakup happened. You know, like he hadn't gone all gray yet. Like it's almost like it's almost like an accidental like illustration of how long this has gone on. Is that now he looks like an old man with gray hair and this still hasn't happened? I I. I don't know why it didn't happen originally when there was a lot of heat between them and a lot of energy behind them losing the tag titles, breaking up, doing the stuff. It just didn't happen. And Keith Lee was gone for a bit, comes back with Dustin Rhodes. Like, what the heck? Like, my problem with AEW is that some things, so many things either happen too fast or way too slow. And they so rarely hit that sweet spot of finding the exact right timing. Something like Adam Cole, Chris Jericho came together really quickly and like we're here and it's good. Like like other stuff takes months and months and months to happen. Julia Hart in the House of Black being another example of that. Things that just take forever. It's like, I don't know if Tony just like 
forgets that he was booking this storyline and then comes back to it or, or, or what. But I can't again, I can't believe they haven't announced this for double or nothing, like just even off of Rampage. Like, what are we, like, what are we doing? It's not going to be on double or happen, nothing. And then we, and we'll talk about that in a moment. No, it's it not, is not on the show. Not at this point. But but it's 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 like either be done with it or do it. And they're still not doing either. And both of these guys are being held back by it because we keep thinking, when are they doing Keith Lee versus Swerve? And we're not accepting either of them moving on to different things because the company's not letting us move on to different things with them. There's so many weeks. This could have been a dynamite main event. It could have been on the last show, I think, which, which was Revolution. It could have been on Double or Nothing. I mean, there are they had so many opportunities to run this match and wrap up the storyline. And they're just refusing to do it. And by the way, it's also bad. Like, the storyline isn't even good. It was good when they initially broke up and they had the will they or won't they break up with the acclaimed and the title change and all that. It was solid. And you're like, okay, so they they lost the titles. They're going to do the breakup. It might take a little bit for them to do the breakup. But then when they do, on the next pay-per-view, you have that match. They skipped it. And then we said, and we had this conversation for Revolution. It's really weird that this match isn't on the card Maybe they'll do it as a dynamite main event, or maybe they'll put it on double or nothing. And here we are now, two and a half months later, and neither has happened. And it's just unbelievable to me. It's absolutely shocking. Uh, I do have a couple more items. I'm going to go through them really quick. Then we'll get to the AEW double or nothing ultimate preview. Uh, AEW on dynamite did a congratulatory promo video package with Willow Nightingale, who won the NJPW strong women's title in a match against Mercedes Monet. They did a mini tournament on a show, and that was the final Footage of the match was shown, and Mercedes was not only shown, but named, which is obviously notable, though it doesn't necessarily mean anything yet because they have shown New Japan footage before of people that haven't shown up in AEW. What's interesting here is that Mercedes was supposed to win the title, but literally broke her ankle reportedly during the match. So they had to make a call in the ring to go with Willow instead. The match, I saw it, was good until the finish. Really unfortunate situation for Mercedes, obviously, Nice opportunity for Willow here. On Rampage, Blackpool Combat Club fought Best Friends in Bandito. This opened the show. Claudio Castanoli caught Chuck Taylor with a European uppercut blind. Moxley added Death Rider, and then Wheeler Yuta hit a splash to the knees for the win. It was an extremely tepid reaction from the crowd. I was very surprised about that because BCC is so prominent. It was a fine match with no storyline. On Rampage, the acclaimed and daddy ass fought the varsity athletes. Acclaimed hit their finishing sequence with a mic drop exclamation point for the win. Another tepid reaction and match with no storyline. And lastly on Rampage, QTV was unfortunately back with QT Marshall announcing they are all in the Blackjack Battle Royal. Then QT was excited that Powerhouse Hobbs is on the collision poster. Chris, we don't talk about AEW Weekly, obviously. Um, have you ever seen QTV? And if so, can you give me a reason why it still exists? All, all I'll say is that I know how much you hate QTV and QT Marshall and everything. I'm actually a don't. QT Marshall guy. Oh, I don't mind QT individually. Let me be clear. I don't mind him individually, but go ahead. I'm sorry. I I think he, like, this is low, low card stuff, like, first of all. And I think QT is actually quite talented. Like, if you ever see him in the live shows when you go to one, he gets as much heat as anybody. Like he he's really good in a lot of different ways. It doesn't always translate to TV. I think QTV is weird, but Powerhouse Hobbs being with them is 100% bringing Powerhouse Hobbs down so much. But I'm not putting that on QTV as much as 
the decision to put powerhouse Hobbs in it. Well, so, it seemingly only I exists because of him. I mean, that's kind of you do, that, that was part of the generation of the entire thing. Right. Like, Chris, if you told me that right. collision, so like, if you told me collision is an active show, okay, and we're getting two hours of dynamite, two hours mm-hmm. of collision, and then every Friday on Rampage, we get QTV, I'm not going to complain about it anymore because it's a completely irrelevant show with an irrelevant segment. But this is, my, my, they, they did yeah, this my, around him winning the TNT title and they put him with QT Marshall for no reason when he won it and then he lost right. it. What, what are they doing? Yeah. That's that. That's that's the bigger issue. I actually, I, my my problem isn't even QT with the stuff. It's everybody around him. Everybody else. He he's better than a lot of those people. And it's just it, it's it's weird. It's it's not great. But it's also like low low card stuff. I don't. I'm not. I'm kind of talking in circles here. You I, dislike it. You dislike it, but you don't hate it I, I nearly as much I think, as I do. Is what you're trying to say. I think. It, yeah. I think. I think it's fine for what it is. I think deciding to make that around the powerhouse hops thing was a massive, massive mistake. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. All right, let's get to our AEW Double or Nothing Ultimate Preview. We spent way too much time talking about that. I wanted a quick reaction. (laughs) I can't even believe you tried to defend it. Let's talk about AEW Double or Nothing. Let's get away from it. Um, And we'll break down every single match on the card. I think you said, as we were talking before the show, there's nine. I did not do a count, unfortunately. Uh, but fewer than what it seems like we've normally gotten for AEW pay-per-views, whether they do or do not add buy-in matches remains to be seen, kickoff show, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but we don't have those right now, so we can't discuss them. So we're going to break down the entire card, the matches, what happened on Dynamite and Rampage to build to those matches, and then we'll give you predictions and picks. And at the very end, we'll give you a pre-show expectation grade for AEW double or nothing. First, we have the Hardy Party against Ethan Page and the Guns with a stipulation if Hardy Party wins, Matt will control Page's contract. On Rampage, the faces cut the exact same promo they did last week with Jeff Hardy again mentioning the titles. Page entered seemingly contrite, saying he doesn't want beef with them anymore. It was a ploy for the guns to attack them from behind with chairs, and it ended with Page stomping a chair around Isaiah Cassidy's neck from off the ropes, and then a pay-per-view challenge. The chair spot at the end was good. Uh, Isaiah Cassidy is not going to be in this match. Spoiler alert. Uh, it's going to be Hook instead. Uh, but the attack was rather weak. This has zero business being on the main pay-per-view card. If you want to put this on the show and it's on the buy-in, I'm okay with it. But this is not a main card match. Not when Keith Lee and Swerve are not on the card. Not when Jay White, Ricky Starks, Juice Robinson, you're not doing anything with them as an individual match on the main card. This absolutely should not be there. No. And but first off, there are nine matches. Uh, there were nine. Ma- there were the previous card, a Revolution, had eight matches on the main card, one of which was the hour-long uh, match between MJF and Brian Daniels. Okay, so, so basically if the it same. Stays at, yeah. yeah, so if it stays at this, like, we liked the pacing of the last show. It yes. didn't drag on, like, the 14-match cards do. So hopefully um, hopefully that's something they continue here. We'll see how it goes. When you don't watch AEW for a few weeks and you come back and turn it on and you see Matt Hardy talking about a contract and – Isaiah Cassidy doing moaning and stuff like that. <laughs> it seems like the absolute bottom of the barrel 2000 WCW just nonsense mm-hmm. shit. This is garbage. I will say, Ethan, I liked Ethan Page's promo and it actually got me into him. And I love the line that he delivered when he's saying to Isaiah Cassidy all these things he did for him. And he says, Who lied to you and said those girls were cute? 
<laughs> that was pretty funny. That was a good line. Uh, I thought he was really interesting in this. Everything else just seems like complete nonsense and garbage. And woof. Yeah, main card pay per view for this type of stuff is uh, eesh, not great. Yeah, I don't even know how to predict this too because on one hand, it's like, all right, it would make sense for the Hardy Boys or the Hardys, I guess here, to win because they're the baby faces. It's a feel good moment. The guns are no longer champions. And there's a stipulation where Matt gets to control Paige's contract. But on the other hand, what you just said is true. It's like, how much more of this contract shit do we have to deal with? And wouldn't it make the most sense for the heels to win? That way they stop doing the contract bullshit. So I don't even know what to predict. I think it makes more sense for the heels to win and cheat. The Hardys to then have to get over them on television. And then they can move on with what is apparently their pursuit of the AEW tag team titles, which is not even something... I have any interest in whatsoever. It's a low card match. And because of that, I'm going to default to picking the baby faces. But I do think this could go either way. More than anything, I just don't care about it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, like in these stipulations, they typically go, oh, if somebody wins, somebody gets their contract. That's usually what happens. Like right. that's the wrestling trope. So, uh, but are we really going to have the Hardys win and then have Ethan Page hanging around them? Like, I'll say yes, just because. I, d- I don't know what I, I, I think if you're going to do the stipulation, you keep this stuff going. I'll pick the faces as well. All right. Uh, we have the TBS championship on the line. Jade Cargill against Taya Valkyrie in a rematch on rampage. Jade Cargill fought a jobber. Same song and dance as always, except Jade won with a pump kick instead of jaded. Mark Sterling got on the mic talking shit. So a second jobber came out and lost via jaded. They repeated the deal with a third jobber coming out, except this time Taya knocked the girl out on the ramp and then hit Jade with Road to Valhalla. Then she grabbed the mic and announced that she had a pay-per-view match for the title. I guess it doesn't matter because if Jade's defending the title against Jobbers on Rampage, then I guess Taya can just announce a title match for the pay-per-view. On Dynamite, Taya fought Lady Frost. Again, it was the lone women's match on the show, and it involved someone not on the roster. She's an ROH talent with zero storyline. Taya won with Road to Valhalla in a match that got plenty of time, but no one cared about. I thought there would be a post-match angle with Jade, who was watching from the stage, but nothing happened. So technically here, I think Rampage was the first time in AEW that they had two women's matches on one TV show, except they were two 30-second squashes back-to-back with Jade. So congrats, I guess. Both of these were title matches, again, which remains ridiculous. They just continue to like, it's one thing to artificially inflate a record, but to like, do it in a super artificial way like they did here. It was just kind of ridiculous. This should not be a pay-per-view match. I know it's a title match. I know it's nice that there's a second women's match on the card, but Jade is not improving. The act is tired, and this is a rematch. Now, if you're telling me that Ty is going to win and that's why it's on the show, okay, I will buy that. I'll take it. But it really seems like you know they wanted to put the title on Chris Statlander. They wanted her to be the one to and Jade's reign. I think she tore her ACL, which is a nine month, you know, possibly plus injury. And they keep waiting and waiting and delaying this title reign. To me, it seems for her to come back. So from a storyline perspective, that is one big pile of shit. And from an interest level perspective, I'm bored, brother. I'm going to have Jade retaining the title because I just don't see them having Taya going over her when one would think Chris is closer than ever to returning. Yeah, we're literally, I think, about nine months out from when she got hurt. It was August 2022. So 
if she's going to come back on the normal schedule, just about now would be the time. I really like Tara Valkyrie and, and think like she could be normally someone who takes the title off of Jade. She's a, just a big woman, a powerful woman. And it's like face to face matchup wise, like it totally makes sense if you figured, hey, it's time to go some other direction with Jade. But because it is around the time you would expect Statlander to come back, I don't think now is when you do it. If you're going to have Jade hold the title all that extra time waiting for Statlander to come back, you don't do it here. So uh, the pick is Jade as well. Uh, I, I, I'm fine with this being a pay-per-view match. Like, I know you don't think it should be. I, I, I agree on just the general Jade stuff, but I'm fine with this being a match and, and everything. Okay, that's fair. Uh, TNT title match. Uh, we'll have Wardlow defending against Christian Cage in a ladder match. On Dynamite, Wardlow cut a tape promo saying the ladder match won't be an advantage for Christian because he's previously won ladder matches, including Face of the Revolution. We got nothing from Christian. And that's the go-home build. That's all we got for this. You know, I'm very mixed in terms of a prediction here. On one hand, this Wardlow TNT title reign is just as bad as his last one, which was just as bad as the one before it. Christian possibly coming in and winning the TNT title is actually a really exciting proposition for me. And the stipulation, a ladder match, gives him an opportunity to do it without pinning Wardlow, which is really what you want to avoid doing. But if you do have Christian win, then you look back on Wardlow's third TNT title reign and you're like, well, that was a piece of shit. And now he's had three opportunities with it, all of which have been bad, with absolutely none of the blame falling on his shoulders, 100% from a booking standpoint. So it's really difficult to kind of say, well, do you just continue the title reign that isn't going well because of your booking in hopes that it will go well because you have plans for it? Or do you just kind of cut bait and just go with Christian? And then if you do go with Christian, what the hell does Wardlow do? Does he go after the international title? Does he go after the AEW title and go, you know rekindle the feud with MJF? It, it's very difficult to say. Whereas Christian, if he doesn't win the title, you can come up with plenty of things for he and Luchasaurus to do. Despite that, I think with it being a ladder match stipulation, it plays into Christian's hands, despite what Wardlow said. Christian has a second in Luchasaurus there. Wardlow's second is Arn Anderson. So unless you want me to believe that those are equal, where Arn and Luchasaurus, uh, I don't know how old Luchasaurus is in terms of human years. Uh, obviously, he's however many million years old in, in kayfabe. Um, but in reality, if the guy's 38, 39, you know, whatever, and Arn is however old he is in the 60s, you know, they're not equal. So if the seconds do get involved in the match and no one else has Wardlow's back, then you have to believe that's going to be an advantage for Christian. So I'm going to pick Christian to win the TNT title. I wouldn't be surprised if the finish is something like Christian's on Ward, on uh, Luchasaurus's shoulders climbing up the ladder and he grabs it with assistance. That's my guess. I think it's oh, a big man. heel victory for Christian. If if they do that, if they do the Jungle Boy spot with Christian on top of his shoulders to win, like that's a big, that's a good, that's a good heat building moment. Yeah. Look, Christian's been killing it, man. Like he, every time he comes on, cuts some sort of promo, he's getting as much heat as anybody else in the building. Like I could totally understand. Look, I know he's an older guy. And I know you maybe can't do as much, but he is 
just doing a great job right now. He would bring a lot of excitement to that title in a way that Wardlow is not. Right. Wardlow, especially by is, the way, the so, situation. sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Especially if you yeah. decide because of collision to put the TNT title on TNT and make it exclusive, then you have Christian as that champion. That's going to bring eyeballs. Sorry. Go ahead. And they're going to Canada next month. Right. For like a month. Right. Like a whole, including like all whole the collision episodes. Shows in yeah. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Correct. Collision, Forbidden Door, Dynamite. They're all doing that. So with Wardlow, it's like, it, it's a situation you find with all kinds of big guys, which is when they're not the dominant monster, what do you do with them? WWE has had lots of problems with that as well. I think you look at the Ricochet Braun tag team. Mm hmm. And I think putting Wardlow in the tag team division with some smaller guy would be a lot of fun. It would be. Yeah. You've got you've got so many flippy guys in that company. You could pair him up with anybody and, and make something pretty fun of, out of it. Develop his personality by having them go back and forth and, 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 and doing stuff. That's what I would do with Wardlow at this point. I'm, I'm going to pick Christian as well because he's been doing a great job because they're going to Canada, all that stuff. Um and the ladder match is a way, again, like you said, to not pin Wardlow. So we're agreeing on this one. I love the idea of Wardlow in the tag team division. That's great. I mean, I don't know who it would mm -hmm. be with. You know, Jungle Boy would make a lot of sense, but obviously he was just in the tag team division for years, so you don't want to go back to that. But someone like that would be a great, you know, way to, you know, work off of Wardlow's big brute strength with a flippy yeah. type of guy. And yeah, really like a ricochet, really. Like you said, it's just very much like the Braun Strowman situation. It would work well for him. And yes, he could develop his character off that person. So I think they should have and, Wardlow drop the title and Christian win. Sorry, go ahead. And based on who we've got competing for these tag team championships, um, <laughs> yeah. they could probably use somebody like Wardlow in that division. Yeah, they definitely could. All right, let's move to the international championship match, the leveled up international championship match, thanks to Shazam Fury of the Gods. Orange Cassidy defending in a Blackjack Battle Royal. So a 21-man Battle Royal. On Dynamite, Ricky Starks backstage entered the match, saying he was shifting his focus from Bullet Club to the title. So, of course, Bullet Club laid him out with a chair, uh, and they hit him into the back of the... So, of course, Bullet Club laid him out with a chair shot to the back uh, while he was bent over a road case. Jay White then said, they're having too much fun making his life miserable, and they're not going to stop. So I'm left asking, where the hell is Action Andretti to get Starks back? Like, where did he go? Did, I thought they were friends. Did he just completely disappear? Anyway, announced for this match are, get this, Orange, obviously, uh, those three guys, Butcher Blade, Dustin Rhodes, Best Friends, Lucha Brothers, Brian Cage, Big Bill, Lee Moriarty, Varsity Athletes, Kip Sabian, Bandito, I think Serpentico, and then Swerve and Keith Lee. Yes, Swerve and Keith Lee. So not only are they not in a singles match on the show, they're in a battle royal for really no reason whatsoever. And Jay White, Ricky Starks, and Juice Robinson are all in it as well. I'm not going to go back to that rant. I already did that earlier. So a battle royal, it's always process of elimination, Chris, right? Uh, and that's the way we need to do it here. I think by far the most likely outcome is Orange retaining the title. They have been building him up with these international title defenses. And one of the strange things about the booking of him was they gave him a hand injury that he was selling really hard week after week. 
And they've completely gone away from that. And I have to believe the booking changed somehow because if they were selling that hand injury, then what you would expect is for him to get into a title match where whoever he faces really injures that hand, takes advantage of it, and even leads to a submission perhaps, or just uses it to their advantage and actually pins him. And he has an excuse for losing the title. Now in a battle royal, you have a completely different excuse. The fact that you can just get thrown over the ropes, you don't get pinned, and anyone can beat you. Plus it's 20 on one in theory for the title. And yet despite that, when I look at the people in the match and I say, okay, who could actually walk out as international champion? I only land on two people, Jay White and Ricky Starks. And yes, in theory, Jay White could win the title here and then continue feuding with Starks over the title. And then maybe Starks beats him down the line. That's something you could do. But what seems more likely is that Starks, White, and Robinson take each other out, that Keith Lee and Swerve take each other out. And then you're left with the rest of the field. And none of those people should be international champion, at least based on who's been announced. So my pick is Orange Cassidy retaining in the Battle Royal. I I agree. There's only three possible winners here. Orange Cassidy, Jay White, and Ricky Starks. And... Everything you laid out makes a lot of sense. I could certainly see that happening. I'm going to pick Jay White just because what the fuck have they been doing with Jay White, man? Like, that's that's something I have not talked to. I have not been on this podcast to talk about. What what the fuck is going on with Jay White, man? You brought Jay freaking White into your company, a guy who almost signed with WWE, and he, he teams up with Juice Robinson to beat up Ricky Starks. Like... Holy crap, man. Get the international title on him. Elevate him to the way he should be. Do a heated feud with Ricky Starks and go from there. Orange Cassidy's great. He's done a great job with this belt. He really has elevated this belt in a way that I don't think anybody expected. But he's also a guy who absolutely does not need a championship belt. Here's my problem, Chris. If you're going to crown Jay White as champion, and again, like you said, Jay effing White, right? If you're going to crown him as champion, he should be beating Orange Cassidy clean in the center of the ring, one, two, three, or via submission. He shouldn't be winning the title via a battle royal. No, I agree. That's a completely fair point. I just, I can't believe what they've done with him to this point. So if this is, I mean, I mean, yeah, it would, it would have been easier to do a fatal four-way with Ricky. A triple yes. Threat. That's a great booking. That's a great idea. Ricky Starks, Orange, Orange Cassidy, Jay White. That's a... That's a great match. And then you have Jay White win that right there. Like, I would I would love to, to do that. I, I Again, I think it's certainly very possible Orange Cassidy wins because of everything that you said. I'm just, I kind of just want it to play out this way where you can start actually doing some stuff with Jay White here. That Fatal 4 would have been a great idea. I would have loved to have seen that match. All right, let's move on. Uh, tag Team Championship, FTR defending against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal with Mark Briscoe as the special guest referee. On Dynamite, FTR admitted to being outsmarted during the feud. Dax Harwood called Jeff Jarrett irrelevant saying they wouldn't let TNA rejects top the AEW tag team division. Well, you know what? But I'm afraid I've got some bad news. The TNT rejects have been atop the AEW tag team division, maybe not as champions, but as the top challengers for months now. Uh, He called Karen a bitch and he mentioned Dixie Carter, which got a small pop for those who still know who she is. So Briscoe then entered and (laughs) asked about the blinded pile driver last week. Dax offered his hand explaining how it was a clear mistake. Mark slapped the hand away, and then he slapped him across the face. Then the heels tried to hug him in celebration that he was siding with them, but he pushed Karen out of the way. He smacked Jeff across the face, 
And then he told Lethal, you're my boy, but I'm getting tired of this bullshit. At the Dax slap part of this, I was going to shit on this whole booking for Mark being that dumb. But when he stormed up the ramp and then slapped Jared across the face and got angry at those heels as well, then I was like, all right, at least he's not dumb where he thinks Dax actually did it on purpose. I still have no interest whatsoever in Jarrett and Lethal again being in a pay-per-view tag team title match. I know there's a lot of fans who have come around on Jeff Jarrett's involvement and said, well, he's entertaining on TV and I like him now and all this type of stuff. And I can buy that. If he was in a mid-card feud, what they're doing, that group, there is a comedy aspect to it and they are a pretty good heel group. But being the top challengers for the tag team titles for months now is just, it's a slap across my face as a fan. You are supposed to have the best tag team division in wrestling history, and you are not showcasing it if you are AEW right now. I thought the FTR promo segment was really strong. I thought Mark played his role perfectly. He did a great job, and I thought the others played their role perfectly. I still do not understand why Karen Jarrett got involved in this last week. It is mind-numbing that she's part of AEW now, and as far as a prediction and a pick, FTR is retaining these titles, and anything else, it's just completely unacceptable. Yes, FT, FTR is retaining these titles. I agree. I actually did like that segment as well. Yeah, it was to your good. Point. Not only did not only did Briscoe slap the shit out of some people. He his hit on Jarrett, man. Like he, <laughs> if that was a working slap, man, that was a hell of a hit and a hell of a sell by yeah. Jeff Jarrett, who himself has maybe the best working punch in the game. Uh, and I loved you. I love that you could hear Mark saying, "Hey Jay, you're my boy, but I'm tired of this shit." Like that felt like you could buy that. So like legitimately that segment did sell me on this match, perhaps more than anything else sure. on, on Dynamite did in terms of selling me for a match. That's that said, I still don't care about the match. FTR is going to win. I, I agree. I have, I like Jeff Jarrett, who is again, kind of making this work in, in his own way, but mm-hmm. to be at this level, to be up against FTR, is like ah, the, we don't need to be doing this, man. Especially when like for for years, AEW's tag team division was like the jewel of wrestling, and like this is what it's down to. And I know you've got trios titles and some other stuff going on, but yeesh. Yeah, it's just rough. Like, again, it's like I don't care about the match, but credit to them for delivering an interesting go home segment and the Mark Briscoe aspect of the entire thing is the only reason I'm interested in it. Like I don't think he's gonna turn heel and just help them win the title. You know, I do think FTR ultimately will retain, but I'm kind of curious, right? They've done a good job bringing that into focus here uh, for one of the key matches on the card. All right, let's move to Adam Cole against Chris Jericho in an unsanctioned match on Rampage. Jericho and Cole got into a split screen confrontation with Jericho issuing the pay-per-view challenge with the stipulation. He also said that doing so rendered the protection order void, though they still couldn't touch each other, which was a little strange. So Cole entered the arena, stormed through the crowd, and briefly attacked him before they got pulled apart two times with it quickly ending. I would say Jericho was a dumb heel here, but he's played that character so many times throughout his career, so I thought it was fine. On Dynamite, we got the contract signing. Roderick Strong entered with Cole. JAS came out with Jericho. AEW twice explained why they were doing a contract signing for an unsanctioned match. And I thought the explanations were fine. They said it was a personal contract between them. Yet we clearly saw it was on AEW letterhead. Really, if you have to explain something two or three times in a very short period of time, that should probably tell you 
that what you're doing doesn't make that much sense. Regardless, Cole immediately signed. He talked about how bad he wants to beat the shit out of Jericho. Cole promised to break his legs, shatter his jaw, and break his hands. Jericho ruled footage of the attack from weeks ago to try to goad Cole into hitting him by calling him a coward and letting Britt Baker get her ass kicked with a kendo stick while he just watched. Of course, he was tied up in the ropes, nothing he could do, but that was good heel shit. Jericho then said he'd knock his teeth down his throat. And when he said that, he missed an opportunity to make like a Baker dentist comment. I thought that was a big, a rare miss from Jericho. Uncommon. Uh, Jericho then signed and pointed out how they have a five on two advantage. Cole said he's right that they do have the advantage, but he has an equalizer who lives locally. And then he introduced Sabu from ECW to a nice pop. Sabu made an extended entrance. JS ran out of the ring and the entire thing ended. All right, overall, this was pretty good. The intensity between Cole and Jericho was nice. And it's obviously been building for a short while. It's been a somewhat rushed storyline given what AEW normally does, but it's worked. Personally, Mm -hmm. I thought the visual of five on two in the ring was enough to tell you as an audience member there is going to be a disadvantage on this show without verbalizing that disadvantage. If I was booking it, what I would have done is made Sabu a surprise at Double or Nothing rather than a giveaway for free on Dynamite. It's not like anyone is going to buy the show for Sabu, who's 58, by the way. Um, I think it would have been a nicer present for those who ordered the card for Sabu to show up and then you have other people saying, I can't believe I didn't order Double or Nothing. Sabu's on the card, right? That's a crazy scenario. What I wonder even more is about Kyle O'Reilly's status because even five on three is a massive disadvantage. So bringing Sabu in shouldn't really mean that suddenly it's even odds and Cole and Jericho will just go one-on-one with everyone else canceling each other out. Though I could see them doing one of those spots where like Sabu does a moonsault off of VOM into like three JAS guys and takes them out one on three and everything else kind of evens up. Regardless, Mm -hmm. I'm more energized for this match than many matches on the card, but it's more just because of the competitors, Cole and Jericho, me liking them so much, not necessarily the storyline going into it. I will say from the beginning, the feud, the storyline part of the feud has been relatively thin. Really the best part of it to this point was the Falls Count Anywhere match but that involved a different person, Roderick Strong. This should be a spot where Cole goes over big. You know, it does seem to me like they are building Cole into being the number one babyface in the company and maybe even the favorite to unseat MJF down the line eventually as champion. And if you are doing that, then Adam Cole absolutely positively has to beat Chris Jericho at double or nothing. Yes, very excited about this. I liked everything we got. From, from all of this over Rampage and Diamond. I, I want to go back to the beginning of this. The Rampage part. Cole being outside of the building and ripping up the contract. I didn't quite get how Cole could tell that Jericho ripped up the contract if he's only looking into a camera, unless he's got a separate screen with him. There could have been a monitor. Also, Jericho was dumb. Be- sure. Also, literally behind Adam Cole, it said Texas Fight right behind him so you like you knew he was right outside the building if you're paying attention and so i guess jericho was dumb for for missing that but but i like i like that bit of like i'm waiting here got you going and all so Mm -hmm. sabu look it's freaking sabu man like as weird and maybe dumb as it is i loved it i popped for it i thought it was it was crazy dumb fun wrestling stuff for a guy who's just gonna be in his corner for a match like he's not in the match or anything like that like that's totally fine i i think 
I think doing this on free TV made sense. Okay. Um, yes, it would have been great to say, oh, Sabu showed up at double or nothing, could have popped, uh, you know, could have, you know, whatever, reward the people who bought the show. I think, I, I think doing this on TV, be like, hey, Sabu's going to be on double or nothing, adding to it helps, especially on a show that's lacking a lot of high profile matches. This is one of them. Not great go home stuff. Otherwise, this was maybe one of the best go home segments of of Dynamite. I'm fine with showing Sabu there. I think it gets people even more excited for this match than they were. So I I still think it's a positive, good stuff all around. I was wondering about Kyle O'Reilly too. I don't know if Bobby Fish comes back as a one off at some point. You do JAS or uh, you do JAS versus the Undisputed Era or something or whatever they're gonna call themselves. Uh, so yeah, I'm intrigued. As for the pick. Adam Cole is coming out at the top of this feud because, yes, I agree. He's going to be their top baby face. He's going to be the guy going up against MJF. I I, I guess this three months ago after Revolution, when Adam Cole came back, that was clearly the direction they wanted to go. But as we've seen with Jericho feuds, lots of times like he'll get a couple of wins in there before eventually moving on. And Jericho feuds sometimes take a long time. They take several matches before they move on. So I think that makes this a pretty tough pick in terms of a match because I can easily see Jericho winning and Adam Cole winning, you know, like a month from now or something like that. So I'm going to say because it's unsanctioned because of the numbers advantage and stuff like that, I'm going to say Jericho gets the win on this show. So I'm gonna I'm just just to just so we can differ with some picks here. I'm gonna say Jericho gets the win on the pay per view. Well, you shouldn't do it just to differ with the picks. I mean, do what you think is is going to happen. I mean, if that's what you think happen is going to happen, then that's fine. I yeah. mean, we, I thought that was going to happen with what was it, Eddie Kingston, where like yeah. he beat Eddie. I don't even remember if Eddie got a win over him back. I think he might have. My memory's kind of for some reason blurred from all that. Um, but like it was really disappointing when that happened initially. And I think this is equally as disappointing, or it would be if Jericho beat Cole. I don't think they're messing with that. I think they have a number of big feuds lined up for Adam Cole. And I think this is just the first one. And in order to get to the rest, they have to have him beat Jericho. How many times have we talked about, you know, someone coming back or a feud starting with JAS and it going on way, way, way too long and completely cooling off that person? Look at Ricky Starks, right? Just as one recent example, but there's a litany of others over the last couple of years. That would be a huge mistake for me to keep Cole involved with JAS beyond double or nothing this Sunday. That's just my I agree, but it's just it's just something we've seen them do a lot of. Oh, we've definitely seen them do it. Yeah, there's no question about that. Um, all right, let's go to the women's championship, Jamie Hayter against Tony Storm. Now on Dynamite, Hayter and Storm, they had a go-home segment. They did the back and forth taped promo deal that you guys know I freaking hate because it doesn't make any sense. Storm said that she would rip off Hater's arm and eat it raw. Like that's actually what she said. And that was the entire build on the go home. Now I do have to share a minor spoiler here from Rampage. I don't think any of you are going to mind that much that I share it, but it's directly relevant to us breaking down this match. And that spoiler is that Hater was attacked backstage by the outcasts. And that may well mean that this match is going to be off. And perhaps she's in reality too injured to wrestle. So she might even relinquish the title. It would be immensely ironic 
if AEW did another interim women's title and had Storm win it again, given the focus of the All Access series was the women complaining about the interim title. And it's obviously shitty timing that Hader got hurt. I just feel like this angle should have gone down on Dynamite to clear the deck for whatever they're going to do rather than on Rampage 22 hours or less before Double or Nothing begins. So I'm gonna do this two different ways. One way is if Hater is healthy and they do the entire regular match, if they do the match, you know, 10, 12, however many minutes, then I have Jamie Hater retaining the title. If they don't do that match and they do an interim type of match or someone else steps in for her or she relinquishes it and they put the title on the line, if they do that, then I'm gonna have Tony Storm win the title with the idea that Hater, when she comes back, beats Storm for the title. So those are two different predictions. Um, you know, we don't know who would even be in that match. They could do a four-way with Britt and Hikaru Shida and Storm and Soraya or Ruby Soho. They could do something like that for the interim title or for the women's world title. I don't know, but if it's up for grabs, I think Storm wins it. If the match happens as planned, Hater wins it. Let, let me first say, Tony Storm in pigtails, she's got me saying, hey, now. Gonna look good, but she's got me saying, hey, now. I think I agree with you on on both points. Uh, it still feels like the money Jamie Hader feud with or for the title is with Britt Baker. And we said this months ago and they're just still not doing that. It, it's it's kind of wild how many storylines are continuing from a pay-per-view three months ago. Um, I, I hope Jamie Hader is OK and, and the match goes on as planned. If that happens, I, I agree. I think Jamie Hader wins. Um, if not, then Tony Storm probably wins. But e either way, it feels like, I don't know, it feels like this division is so stagnant. And it's just from a booking perspective. Like, they've got really talented women in there now. And I'm just surprised they're not rolling into other types of things. We're just kind of doing the same stuff over and over uh, and, and over. So uh, I, I agree with you. Jamie Hader wins if she wrestles. If not, then Tony Storm wins. All right. And I don't even know that there's any additional way to break this down. I mean, not a huge fan of the storyline overall, but I do think Karashita coming back did amplify it and amp it up a little bit. Uh, hopefully that leads to a big blow off feud between them, whether it's blood and guts or whether it's just a, a big six woman match that we thought we were going to get on the dynamite two weeks ago. That didn't happen. So I just not exactly sure what their plan long term is for this, but I do like the women involved. I just don't necessarily love everything they're doing with them. So anyway, let's move on to, they're not promoting it as a co-main event, but to me, it is the co-main event of the show. Really, the match I am most anticipating on the entire Double or yes. Nothing card. And that is the Elite against Blackpool Combat Club, Anarchy in the Arena. First on Dynamite, uh, BCC backstage talked about being the best in the world, saying it's the standard they set for themselves. Mox cut an extraordinarily calm promo for him which made it extremely engaging for me because it was counter to the way he usually speaks. It ended with him again repeating, they would show the difference between being professionals and amateurs. Hangman Page later said he considered the elite family, which sticks together no matter what. That's why he's back with them. He said the price the BCC has rung up on them is too high and they're gonna pay in blood on Sunday. This may have been one of Page's best promos. Short, sweet, to the point, and filled with conviction which a lot of his, I don't always buy that they have that conviction. 
Then in the main event, mm-hmm. we had the ROH Tag Team Championship, Lucha Brothers against Claudio and Wheeler. This was booked coming off the Double Jeopardy match last week, I think it was. Uh, Pentagon jumped off his brother's back while in a cover for a Canadian destroyer on Claudio. The Young Bucks ended up under the ring. They prevented Claudio from getting into the match as the champions hit a double stomp fear factor to retain the titles over Wheeler Yuta. The Bucks then ran into the crowd with BCC running down to ringside. Mox grabbed the mic saying they should enjoy themselves while they still can because they're going to get plastered on the pavement Sunday. Mox then promised anarchy in the arena will be the most violent match in AEW history. And he said, if blood makes you squeamish, you haven't seen anything yet. Okay, so Kenny Omega was conspicuous by his absence. I'd love to have seen the Elite together on the go-home. I thought it was weird that that didn't happen. Other than that, we got two extremely strong promos from Mox, a really nice promo from Hangman, and we got the Bucks involved giving BCC a taste of their own medicine to some degree. So I'm really heavily anticipating this match. I think it's going to be an absolute banger. Again, just the talent level of the eight men involved here is going to make this extremely entertaining. Do I love the tease for Mox that this is basically going to be a bloodletting? No, I don't mind blood. I think anarchy in the arena is an appropriate situation where blood could be and perhaps even should be used. But I don't necessarily love promoting the match as saying, you are going to see pools of blood everywhere. And if you can't stomach it, then too bad or something like that. Like just say, hey, we're going to beat the shit out of these guys. We're going to plaster them on the pavement. We're going to brutalize them. That tells you, hey, there's going to be a lot of blood in this match. It's going to be gory. Also, I do have a slight issue with this match happening and there also being an unsanctioned match on the card and a ladder match on the card. Ladder match is in its own area, so I'm okay with that, I guess. But unsanctioned and this, both on the same show, it just seems like a little bit too much of the same thing. But maybe they'll figure out a way in terms of the match booking and and how they you know, do it from an agency standpoint to differentiate them. Nevertheless, Chris, I'm excited about this match more than anything else on the card. And I think I'm going to make a pick that's counter to expectation. Maybe not. I don't know. But I think Blackpool Combat Club is going to win this for two different reasons. Number one, if they're talking about brutality and just absolutely murdering these guys, that's their entire gimmick. You cannot purport yourself to be the real hardcore professional wrestlers and then lose in this type of match to a group like the Elite, where two of the guys, the Young Bucks, are finesse wrestlers and Kenny Omega is largely a technical wrestler, you know, more so than anything else. Number two, the other reason why I think BCC wins is because we haven't seen Don Callis on the go home and there's the Kunosuke Takeshka factor where he could somehow get involved in this, help them out. And then that could lead to the elite getting Kota Ibushi. We've been talking about this for weeks and that could maybe be blood and guts and then you go on from there. Or it could just be a match that happens at all in. So there's a lot of different machinations of ways that BCC can cut out on top here. And ultimately that is my prediction. The heels win anarchy in the arena. You're right. The pitch for anarchy in the arena is not blood. The pitch is some crazy stuff you don't ever see in wrestling is going to happen. You're out in the crowd. You've got popcorn. You've got Urban Meyer tossing somebody something. You're doing slams off of the thing onto the football field. Like stadium stampede anarchy in the arena. Like what the selling point for those is the uniqueness of them. Not, not 
I'm not tuning in to watch guys bleed. Also, if I want to watch guys bleed, I watch literally any Moxley match matter. It doesn't mean anything when Moxley says there's going to be blood in this match because there's always going to be blood in his matches. So that promo was a bit uh, a bit weird. But you're right. I am looking forward to this more than any other match on the card. I think this will be the match of the night because every one of these has been really good. It's been really good and really fun. It's the thing you see screenshotted the most, you know, when when uh, stuff going around Twitter during the show. So that's going to be um, a, a lot of fun. And in terms of the winner, I'm I think I'm with you in the sense that like the elite just got back together. Like you can understand if they lose um, and, and, and do that. On the other hand, like how much longer do we think Blackpool combat club is, or should be a thing? The Blackpool part of them has been long gone. Yeah. But I don't uh, think they're going away like that or anything kept... like that. I don't think that's changing. Sure. I, I'm just, I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious how much, how much, how involved Brian Danielson is uh, in, in this. We haven't seen him. Uh, wrestling a lot so uh, I just a lot of questions about it I think we're going to go BCC as well even though they're the heels and I think they've done a pretty good job trying to be heels the crowd still loves them this is kind of a face versus face in terms of the, the reaction from the crowd Um, but well I don't know this is a tough one to pick I you're I, I even I'm talking myself out of it as we're going through <laughs> I'm going to pick the elite I'm going to pick the elite. It's the elite's big return match. You know, the faces celebrate, especially based on what we think is going to happen. Do, also, do we think this is the last match of the night? No, there's no way. I mean, so if you have an unsanctioned match, theoretically, that could be the last match of the night because you do the lights out type of stipulation. You turn no. the lights out. You say this isn't part of the show. You do that at the end. So we know Adam Cole and Chris Jericho is not going to be the main event because it's not as prominent as these other two matches, this one and the AEW World Championship match. So that leaves us with the two options as the main event, Anarchy in the Arena and the World Championship. And in AEW, the World Championship consistently main events their shows, even in situations where the tag team title match has been the biggest match on the card, the world title has still main evented. So I don't see a situation where you put Anarchy in the Arena last over this, even though to me, it is the actual main event of the show. It is the match that matters most with the biggest talent in the company. Yeah, I, I'm going to say the elite just in, in part because of who I think we're going to pick for the AW championship match as well. Faces win this one. We've had heels winning some of these other matches, winning, winning or retaining some titles elsewhere. Um, I think the elite black will come. AW set up in a way where like a faction can lose a match and it's totally fine, and you just do another one, and you keep going on. And, and I, I actually like that. I like that about AEW. So I'm going to say the Elite win this one, but the feud, the feud obviously keeps going. Yeah, the feud's definitely going to keep going no matter what. Uh, AEW World Championship, MJF defending against Darby Allin, Jungle Boy, and Sammy Guevara in the Four Pillars Fatal 4-Way match. On Dynamite, Jack cut a taped promo about the wrestling ring being important to him, saying he would drive out to Las Vegas on Sunday as champion. Sammy later turned down MJF's outstanding offer to lay down a second time. I thought he already did that. Uh, He said Max could shove it up his ass, which was supposed to get a pop, but unfortunately did not. MJF then actually cut a promo in front of the crowd. He called the fans virgins. He took two really stupid shots, but then called Jack's promos boring, which got a reaction because, well, 
his promos are really boring. Uh, MJF reiterated why they are all the four pillars, putting them all over for holding up AEW and being the most entertaining stuff on the entire brand. It was a good like 30 to 60 seconds of MJF cutting a babyface promo. Then he turned and said, I'm sick of AEW. I don't have competition in AEW. I hate the fans. And guess what? My contract is coming up. He said the other pillars are all talented, but none of them are on his level. So Darby then entered to light chance wearing really strange boots that MJF called out immediately. Darby talked about scratching and clawing for his career, saying no one but AEW would allow him to risk his life jumping a car. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Darby said... Jumping a car, jumping a car, by the way, jumping a car over his house with Travis Pastrana. Right. If anybody hadn't seen that. Yeah. It uh, was insane. Darby said the only way he can truly become the face of AEW is by becoming champion, and he might even use the headlock takeover to beat MJF and do it. So MJF kicked him in the nuts. Sammy made the chase. Sammy made the save, chasing MJF up the ramp. Then Jack entered, hit a clothesline, held up the title, and the segment ended. MJF sold the clothesline like it was death. Look, we're honest on this show, okay? None of this hit for me. And it not only should have hit, but it should have sold the pay-per-view. Jack's promo was indeed boring as sin. He is just awful on the mic. Sammy was okay, but it's a convoluted effort to make him come across as a tweener because they want MJF to be the pure heel in the match. MJF, to me, just sounded like he lost his fastball. To use his word, everything he said was either mid or repetitive. The contract deal is so tired. You have to roll your eyes at this point. Obviously, he's already re-signed with AEW. The only part that got a true pop was the quote, AEW is great because of us, unquote, part. Darby was also repetitive in his promo, saying the same shit that he said before. And like you just did, I laughed about the daredevil part because just like in a pro sports team and other major leagues like WWE being the competition, they would never let a top performer do that for good reason, insurance, liability, all that shit. They want the person that they're guaranteeing money to, that they're trying to be a big part of their program to not get hurt. They want The NFL teams don't want you to go out riding skateboards because they want you to play football for them. Wrestling companies don't want you to jump a car over a house because they want to be able to book you on their television show. So, okay, I guess it's cool for Darby personally that AEW allows him to do those things, but it's not like a grand gesture from AEW. It's actually stupid more than anything else. But then again, maybe he wouldn't sign with them at all if they didn't let him do it. So it makes sense. Regardless, the end of this was very formulaic. The crowd was terrible. They did not help this get over at all. When you talk about a go-home moment for a $50 quarter-year pay-per-view, you absolutely need to come up with something better than this. And you know what? You got to come up with something better than what they did for the Elite and Blackpool Combat Club, too. That was very good and entertaining, but it wasn't a great go-home segment. From the gauntlet-called tournament onward to this, the storyline that did start hot has completely lost steam for me. Let me be very clear. I still think the match is going to be great. A-level, maybe even A-plus level match. I just don't care. The, the, the first promo months back with these guys was awesome. Mm -hmm. It felt like truly a turning point. You know, coming out of Brawl Out, AEW is trying to find itself for a while. And we thought toward the end of last year, heading into this year, they had finally turned that corner. 
And when you started with this four pillars promo with those four guys, it was like, wow, like this, this is AW is going back to kind of its roots. It's, it's main guys, the guys it's growing. This is going to be really, really exciting. And they just had so much time to fill that it became incredibly convoluted with the tournament and all the stuff and yada, yada, yada. And we get to this point now where we're ready for this match. And I think what it's shown to me is that several of these guys just are not pillars of the company. They're just not like Darby Allen. I, he, 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 he's been doing the same thing for like ever since he walked into the company. How has he changed as a character from the moment he walked in? He had, he had, a was it him? No, Sammy and Cody was the first match, but Darby was one of those guys that jumped out on that first show, but nothing's changed with him. Uh, Jungle Boy um, has had really good moments. That singles match with Luchasaurus, I thought, was the match of the night on that one pay-per-view that they were on. But the promos haven't gotten better, and that's a problem. If you're going to be a pillar of a company, you have to talk. That hasn't worked. Sammy Guevara is great, but he's also kind of been the same thing this, this whole time. So you come into this feeling like it's obvious that MJF is going to win. And you don't feel like Darby or Jungle Boy really deserve to kind of be in this spot. I think Sammy does. Sammy feels kind of is a big enough dude where like you feel like he can be in the spot, but maybe he's not ready yet. So I'm looking forward to the match. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. There's a lot of different things you can do. I think when you talk about MJF not having his fastball in this, mm-hmm. I think it's because he's had nobody to really there's there hasn't been enough to sink his teeth into in You're the right. storyline. And right. he hasn't had any and he hasn't had and he hasn't had anybody to go back, back and forth with like a CM Punk, like a Brian Danielson. And when 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 he's so much better on the mic than everybody, it kind of gets boring, maybe for him. And that's been a little bit disappointing. Like when I think pillars of the company, you're thinking Mox, you're thinking Kenny Omega, you're thinking uh, MJF. You're not thinking Jungle Boy and Darby Allen. And I, I, I don't know if these guys have been elevated and maybe, or at least they haven't stepped up to the plate in the way that we hoped when this thing started. I mean, I think Darby Allen was a really good TNT champion. That first reign with the, with the title was extremely strong. But really, other than that, yeah, yeah, you're right. And like Sammy Guevara's had some damn good matches against good people. But, you know, Sammy at times wasn't getting over and then he'd get booed when they wanted him to get cheered. Jungle boy just does not exist well as a, as a baby face in the singles division. It just isn't working. Um, really the only person out of this group is Darby that I could actually buy as being AEW champion. I couldn't buy the other two. And I think long-term listeners know that at the beginning here, I, I was, and I still am to some degree, a huge Sammy Guevara fan. I think he has a lot of talent. He has character. He can get there. Jungle Boy, I just don't buy it at all. And Darby, I was extremely high on him. And it was a very common take. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, man, he could really be AEW's Jeff Hardy. The problem is, even though Jeff Hardy was extreme, he still was able to relate to the fans. Darby is extremely difficult to relate to because of the entire dark aesthetic in addition to the extreme nature of him and really the extreme stuff That's, with him. Yeah. We, most of what we see with that is off screen. It's him in a burning car and him doing these crazy things, getting dumped off of a truck in a body bag and like all this shit. 
He does have extreme matches occasionally, but he only does so much. He does the coffin drop from different heights. That's, you know, that's, that's a good point. Exactly. That's a great comparison. Compare the extreme of him, which is dark, which is kind of weird being dragged around in a body bag versus the extreme of the Hardy boys, which was bright colors, loud music, Mm -hmm. uh, doing doing stuff in matches that we remember jumping off of a tape jumping through a table and doing all this ladder stuff that's not the same kind of extreme we're getting from darby allen which is a li- it's a bit more high-flying version of a mick foley kind of and it's not the same he hasn't quite been that so you're right that's why darby allen's extreme hasn't quite been and, the same i don't think and it's hard to consider him extreme when you have Mox bloodletting every single week and dustin doing a crimson mask on rampage main event yeah. at 10 55 p.m and Darby doesn't do that stuff. I mean, I'm not saying he's never bled, but he's not wrestling in those types of matches, at least without any consistency. Also, how is he extreme when like his best friend is, how old is Sting? 65? Like his best friend's like a 65-year-old guy rumbling around. And Sting, by the way, where has he been? I know they're, they're trying to get Darby to stand on his own because it's a singles type of world championship feud. But like Sting's the kind of, he's been the thing that's made Darby interesting to some degree. And he doesn't even have that to lean on except for that very short, you know, interaction with MJF and Sting. That was pretty fun. Uh, you know, a few yeah, weeks back. I like that. And that was really yeah. fun. Yeah. What they did there. So, you know, this is not a situation where I'm like trying to shit on these guys individually or this match, because at some point they had to do this match. And probably now Correct. with the four year anniversary, four pillars, and the way the other storylines are going right now, it probably makes more sense to do this now than ever before. So I don't hate the booking. Yes. I don't hate the way it started. No. I just think they only had an, so much content here and they really like halfway through just lost the focus and weren't able to end the storyline as strong as it started. That's a massive disappointment for me. So ultimately, I didn't even give my pick. Yes. But I think it's pretty obvious where I'm going that MJF is going to retain the title here in this match. You do not have MJF beat Brian Danielson in an Iron Man match and then have him lose to Darby, Jungle Boy, or Sammy Guevara in a fatal four-way. You just don't do it. I did also want to point out something that you said. I wanted to double back to it. When I said MJF lost his fastball, you made a very salient point. And that is when MJF works with other true top names, and I'll add veterans, and I'll also add perhaps even ex-WWE guys. He has a lot more material that he can use. Think about the feud with CM Punk, John Moxley, Brian Danielson, these types, Cody Rhodes, these guys. He has so much that he can draw on, so much inside baseball stuff that can pop the crowd when it comes out of his mouth because you don't expect that he's going to say it. And then you get into this, and he doesn't have the long-term relationships with some of these guys. Cody, in some ways, being his mentor. CM Punk being the guy that you know he got him into wrestling. John Moxley as well. All those little elements that he was able to pull from for those feuds. Uh, people dissing him, you know, all that type of stuff. William Regal dissing him, all that. He doesn't have any of that with these guys. So when MJF is now being tasked to create a storyline somewhat from scratch. Their four pillars have existed, but there's not a lot of depth there. He's struggling to actually deliver when it's him, the focus of the feud in the A spot, and the fact that the B, C, and D people 
don't have all those other elements as well. That's one of the reasons why this is struggling to deliver to such a degree. So clearly, MJF is going to retain the title here. It's going to be the right booking. I still think, I want to reiterate, this could be the match of the night. And really, it should be the match of the night. But again, am I excited about it going into the show? No, I'm not that excited about it. It's going to come down to, are there enough false finish moments where we think like, oh man, for a split second, I thought Darby Allen was about to win, or I thought Jungle Boy was about to win, because otherwise we don't, we don't believe they will. So that, that's what it's ultimately going to come down to. To your point, yes, this is the perfect time to do this match. Like I said at the beginning, booking this now the way they did, turning the corner after Brawl Out and moving into the future, like totally understand why they did it. I like that they did it. It made perfect sense. I just think we've ultimately seen a couple of these guys at least show that they're not at that level at least yet. Yeah. And that's okay. It's okay. But it, it made sense to eventually move into this. You got to see what these guys got in these spots. We had to see Darby Allen in a championship feud without sting and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. So um, for all the booking issues, for all the booking issues we've had on other things, I think this made total sense to do from the beginning and they gave it a swing. And so, that that was worth doing. Yeah. And, and again, it suffered from what a lot of AEW storylines suffer from, where because the shows, the pay-per-views are so far apart, there's a large portion of the story that's great and makes sense and it's going in the right direction. And then there's a lull. And unfortunately here, the lull happened in the middle and it never picked back up on the go home. And that's just how it transpired. And it's unfortunate. And then to your other point, not everyone is going to be a main eventer in wrestling. Like, you know, you, even in WWE back in the day, people would say, oh, this person's underused, like Cesaro. He's underused because he's never been WWE champion. Yeah, but the guy held every other title multiple times and was a huge featured part of television. Is he really that underused just because he wasn't world champion? Not everyone's going to be world champion. Uh, I don't know that Sammy Guevara or Jungle Boy will ever be AEW champion. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that if that if that's the way it transpires. But this was a sink or swim moment for all four of these guys, a, a storyline. I think MJF, I think honestly, none of them, they all swam, but none of them were Olympic swimmers. That's the best way I can put it. Sure. Here, here, here's, my, here's, here's a question. Who do you think are the four pillars in the sense of the four people or, or teams maybe that the company is what it is because of them? So I think that's different. I would say- So I think that's a different question. So there's the four people who- would be on like sure. the Mount Rushmore of AEW where they're the ones driving the company forward. The four pillars are meant to be right. young talent that the company can build upon long-term. Well, that, that's why I think, I think I, I get, but I feel like it should have been like four pillars of the future. Cause to me, pillars are like the foundation. Like that's what you're it's, building on. It's not the best, and, correct. And, and, <laughs> it's not the best usage of the word. I think when it comes to the young talent that the company should be building upon for the future. Uh, MJF is definitely one. I think Jamie yeah. Hayter is one and really doesn't get enough respect in that regard. Um, and then honestly, you're, you're kind of asking me to do it off the top of the head. Uh, maybe Ricky Starks uh, would be one. And well, I, I, I meant it. I meant it more in the sense of like who like when you think who are the found who are the foundational people of AEW, like what I would consider the four pillars. I think like Mox. I think Kenny Omega, I think Hangman Page, and then maybe Cody, uh, or, or or maybe or maybe um, uh, Britt Baker. 
finishing like, my I think of like who are the foundational people like from the beginning of AW. Finishing my uh thing just because I already got three and I didn't get four. Uh Hangman Page would be the fourth. So Hangman okay, sure, yeah. Hangman, MJF, Ricky Starks, and Jamie Hayter for me are the four pillars from a youth perspective. To your question, your uh, revised question, if you will, um, John Moxley, the Young Bucks, Cody, and CM Punk, because they made it, su- they made Punk such an integral part of AEW's rise to prominence. They were kind of stuck for a while, and then Punk came along mm-hmm. and really kind of rocketed them. Mm-hmm. And now they're building a second mm-hmm. show around him. And you can't dismiss how important Punk is to Tony. Just because he wasn't there at the very beginning doesn't mean that Tony doesn't see him as one of those pieces. So those would we're those coming, would be the pieces yeah. that I I would say. We're coming, we're coming full circle on this pod. I like it. I yeah, like it. In some ways. It still doesn't mean I want to see him on my television, but nevertheless. <laughs> All right. That is your AEW double or nothing. Ultimate preview, which means, Chris, our last part of this show is giving a pre-show expectation grade. Now, you, our listeners, getting overheads, you can all vote for your pre- and post-show expectation grades on Twitter at Getting Overcast, obviously before and after the show, respectively. But Chris and I give our pre-show grades right here on the podcast. And when we do these, Chris, I always let you go first. So go ahead. What is your pre-show grade for AEW Double or Nothing? So we've got three matches I'm really, really looking forward to and six matches that I just don't care about at all. And that makes it extremely hard to weigh. Yeah, I'm between a I'm between a B and a B plus here. And. I'm going to say low B plus like an 87 out of 100. If not for if not for those three matches at the top, this would be like a C or a D level card. But those three, I think, are, are worthy enough and have such a high ceiling to be great matches that I think I put my uh, my my expectation or my my excitement at a B plus. Is that the exact same grade you gave WWE United Champions? No, I gave I gave United Champions an A minus. Oh, you I gave it a ninety a B plus and A minus. I, I remember it was the bottom. I did. So you, you gave it a ninety out of a hundred, not a yes, yeah, the yes. lowest A minus, not the lowest B plus. That's right. Okay, um, I'm pretty much right there with you. I think I mean it's a slight difference. I'm an eighty eight out of a hundred. I think it's a B plus uh, pre show expectation grade. The what what happens when these big pay per views come around is when we do the instant reaction show at the end. We remember the great and largely overlook the terrible or mediocre. Because if something is truly great, it can lift up everything around it. And I do think the, again, it's not official co-main event, but my co-main event, uh, the Anarchy in the Arena and the world title match, both of those do have the opportunity to be five-star matches. They just do. And I would have said Mm -hmm. that Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm would have an opportunity to be a really high-quality match as well. Except, again, we don't even know if that's going to happen, nor do we know what's going to replace it. So then the third match is Adam Cole and Chris Jericho. And I, Adam Cole's amazing. I do still believe, like, from an in-ring storytelling perspective, he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. But again, like, Jericho, he's doing really well, and he's surprised. I forgot the last match he was in that just utterly shocked me, but it was recent at how freaking good it was um, at his advanced age. So them together should put on something great, but I'm not going to count on it to be great. 
because of those reasons and because I really feel like there's going to be a lot of interference there that's going to take it away from being just Cole Jericho one-on-one, really delivering something that's exciting. So I'm at the B+, but I got to tell you, I do think this has just as much chance to be a B- minus as it does an A- minus when we come out of the show. I agree. I totally agree with that. I think the ceiling is pretty high because of those top two matches. The ceiling's pretty low if they don't. You, I, I mean, you could make the case. The floor, you mean. That yeah. the four pillars match. You can make the case that the four pillars match and the Anarchy and Arena might be the two matches I'm most looking forward to the entire weekend between WWE, NXT, and AEW. Um, it really does come down to, I think, generally those two or three matches. I think they are two of the four matches I'm most anticipating. I would not put them one and two, but I would put them right along the lines of the World Heavyweight Championship and the WWE Tag Team Championship matches. Now, whatever order, which one's one, which one's two, three, and four, whatever. But I do think they're equivalent in importance and excitement to those matches. But again, like I think the build for the World Heavyweight Championship is weaker than the build for the AEW Four Pillars match. But of course, there's they're very difficult to even compare where I think the build for the tag team title match and anarchy in the arena are relatively equal is what I would kind of say. Sure. So yeah, it'll be interesting to compare these, to juxtapose them against each other Sunday night and see which show ends up being better. We also kind of grade them a little bit differently because the products are vastly different as well. So I am kind of curious to get into all of this, which we will this weekend because folks on Saturday night, As soon as WWE Night of Champions goes off the air, we will have an instant reaction podcast. And then Sunday night, a little bit later, after AEW Double or Nothing and NXT Battleground go off the air, because we're going to have to watch both of them, we will have a double instant reaction podcast Sunday night. So one Saturday, one Sunday, a reminder, at Getting Overcast on Twitter, we will have live pre-shows on Twitter spaces Saturday before WWE Night of Champions, Sunday before AEW Double or Nothing, and NXT Battleground. Plus, you want to follow us there again at Getting Overcast so you can vote in our pre- and post-show polls for all three special shows. On the way out, allow me to remind you all... It's all about the five. It's always all about the five here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We ask you to please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Leave a five-star written review because if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, do not forget... I happen to love the number five. Become an official Getting Overhead over at buymeacoffee.com slash gettingover. $5 a month gets you bonus shows, news posts, and much more. Plus, more than anything, you get to support Vintage and the Silver King in the continuation of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That's a lot of talking for today. It's already been a lot of talking this week. We still have two more shows left before the weekend is out. So for Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.